This is episode 65 of the Get In My Garden podcast, and I'm Aaron Moskowitz. Today we're back with Steve Abbott of Abbott's Family Farm in Sumner, Maine, discussing considerations when getting started as a market gardener and how to bootstrap your way to profits. Steve shares what he has learned about the importance of building relationships at the market and building your loyal customer base. Then he talks crop considerations and rotation strategy. If you're considering market gardening, you can also listen to more content from Steve Abbott in episode 62, which was published a couple weeks ago, or go back to the beginning of this podcast a couple years ago, and there's actually quite a lot of farmer's market content. Send me a message on the website, getinmygarden.com, or via Instagram, at getinmygarden, where I share content about this podcast. Also, sign up for the weekly newsletter, which includes highlights from the podcast, including information about the guests, supplemental content, and amazing articles and books I've discovered, as well as the products and promotions you literally cannot live without. Okay, so maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit. Anyhow, you can also be added to the list by joining the Facebook group, Soil Balance with Microbes, Minerals, Fungi, Fertilizers, and Bugs, then sharing your email in the questions section when you first join. Next week, we'll have another episode with content from the Soil Food Web Geniuses at Catalyst Bio Amendments. Stay tuned. I don't think about it as a competition with the other vendors or the random customers who might stop by from time to time. I'm going to get some sales from there, but I'm thinking about it more as even at farmer's market, I want to know that I've developed my solid customer base for coming to me first and get what they can for me and then understand that they're going to go shop from the other vendors. And I mm-hmm. understand other farmers really should be working on that same thing where they, they build a rapport with certain people who I might not connect with as well, who are going to come to them first. I know that some people have been really clever about, you know, bringing the, you know, different color produce and something that's attention getting or unique. And that's one way that they've countered, you know, masses of the same crop coming at the same week. In terms of growing the different colors, different varieties, I'm definitely all about what produces really well and what I can grow really efficiently. And so I'm not going to try very hard to grow something unique if it's a lot harder to grow. But Mm -hmm. um, I do very well with mixed color carrots. Uh, There's there's one big orange beefsteak type tomato that grows well in the hoop house. It's uh, bee orange which for me, uh, I think every single year I've grown it, it's outproduced every red tomato that I've grown. So I'm quite happy to be the guy at Farmer's Market who has the big orange tomatoes, you know, and to really develop that because they do so well. For green beans, rattlesnake pole beans are just super productive for me. And no matter what other types of pole beans I've tried to grow, nothing has ever matched it. So yeah, I'll grow those. But if it's, you know, interesting colors and varieties that are hard to grow, I'm not so excited about really developing and doing a lot of that. I guess uh, I grow some golden beets and I have people who love golden beets, but I've never been able to just really consistently get reliable, consistent germination out of them. It seems like it's very easy to have a, a poor stand of golden beets. So I, I view more, those more as grow some for my farm share customers but if I don't have any extras to just put out a farmer's market, that's okay because they're not my, my best producing crop. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And I guess another question I have, getting started, I mean, there are all sorts of considerations, soil quality, water, obviously, but 
what is your basic setup and what what kind of setup do you find most people who are starting out use? So I had mentioned that I came into this, you know, a little backwards from what most people do. I think a lot of your starting out market farmers have uh, have read some books. They've read The Market Gardener and they've read, you know, about the Four Season Farm with Elliot Coleman, you know, and, or they've read Curtis Stone and they kind of have a vision of what their farm is going to look like. And I didn't, you know, we just had a garden and then the garden grew and it was, well, maybe I can fill up that area of the lawn and put garden there. And then, well, maybe I can fill up that area of the field and put a little garden there. So, uh, I, I just started with what I had, but as I got going, there definitely were some things that, you know, I, I made the decisions I was going to do. I put up a hoop house. Unfortunately, the, the only really good site for it I had was sloped gently to the north, which isn't ideal. Mm-hmm. So my hoop house or my high tunnel is great in the summertime. But as you get into the shoulder seasons, that slight northward slope, it really doesn't help. It doesn't warm up nearly as well as I think others would. So we have we've had a farm pond here. And when I moved in, it was very shallow and very mucky. And so one year we made the decision, we, we drained it and had it dug deeper. You know, it was very important to stop running our well dry during the summer, trying to irrigate our gardens and know that we had a reliable water source. And so the pond has become that for us. And in terms Great. Of, of the soil, you know, we started with what we had and it was, it was a decent soil, but it was definitely worth, you got, you got to take a soil test when you're starting and amend is necessary. And a couple of years ago, we put a, a very heavy compost application on everything in order to, to just loosen up and lighten up the soil a lot and really give it a high dose of organic matter. And I think that's greatly helped with the overall drainage of the area and keeping things dry. That's great. It seems like there's always a compost component. That's literally the thing that is most beneficial for all land. Sure, yes. Um, after that, in our next soil test, we were basically told, don't put any more compost on because your phosphorus is sky high. Uh, okay. I have not, you know, since we put the compost on, I think our crops have been better, not worse. So I don't think we caused a problem there. But now we are moving more towards using feather meal in particular as a nitrogen source and hmm. adding some potassium as well and trying to minimize our compost applications each year because we did put so much on and really get the phosphorus so high. But I think a you know a couple inches of good compost on, on any plot you're going to work, it's a good investment. But I would say that it's also worthwhile getting started and growing some things and seeing what does well and seeing what the soil is like before you just assume that you need to put a lot of compost on. Mm-hmm. I'm not a believer in, you know, in starting out and just saying, all right, I know I'm going to need a, uh, a Jang cedar and a six row pinpoint cedar, and I'm going to need a greens harvester, and I'm going to need to have uh, a movable high tunnel, and I'm going to need, and just listing off all these things that you've seen successful farmers have for tools that really help their operations. I, as I've said several times now, I kind of came into it backwards. And so I learned to do a lot of things the hard way, so to speak. But then you get good at seeding pelleted carrots by hand and you realize that it doesn't really take 
that long to seed a bed of carrots by hand in comparison to the amount of time you could spend thinning those same carrots if you didn't put down the right amount of seed the first time or in comparison to the amount of time that you could spend weeding those carrots if you didn't have a good weed-free bed. And it certainly pales in comparison to the time you're probably going to spend harvesting and washing those carrots. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing for me that we've tried using our, we've got it, we do have a six row seeder now because a, a neighboring farmer had it and wasn't using it. And we got a good deal on it and we've used it very successfully for uh, radishes in particular and spinach. And I've tried it for carrots and I just, I don't seem to be able to count on it, putting the seed exactly where I want it and as much as I want it. And it doesn't take very much in lost production in my bed of carrots make me wish that I had spent the extra hour to hand seed that bed of carrots and know that I was going to have a, a perfect bed of carrots. So I really think that you need to you need to learn how to do things and learn how much time it would take you without that tool and then be able to assess whether that tool is something that is going to pay itself back. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a good bootstrapping strategy. And I'm guessing most people who want to go into the farming business don't have a boatload of money. So, For sure. Yeah, that's something we haven't talked about a lot is we went into it. uh, We didn't have any money, but we also didn't have any debt. And I think it's very important to know that you're debt free and hopefully have at least a little bit of, of money in your savings account and be able to look at it just like, well, I'm going to go this first year and if I can... Uh, stay out of debt, then I can go for a second year. If I can stay out of debt, I can go for a third year. And hopefully as you get into your third year and your fourth year, you're not just staying afloat anymore. Now you're you're really learning your trade and you're starting to be able to uh, make more money that you're not just making ends meet. And at that point, I think it's really great to start assessing what tools you can afford to invest in that will really help you to take the next step. Now, I understand that there there are other ways to go into it that work for people. And it it might be that rather than learn on your own farm like I did, you're going to go out and find an apprenticeship or work on another successful farm and be able to basically start yourself off a few years ahead of where I started. Uh, But just that way really worked well for me. There's always bumps in the road. And is there anything that you you could tell people about that I mean, something that blindsided you, a good story like that, or things that you've learned about from other people, mistakes that they've made when they've just gotten started? I think something that can be hard getting started and can be frustrating is spending a lot of time at a farmer's market when you're when you're not making money. And for sure, in my area with these smaller markets, business can be slow. And I've seen other farmers try to get started and just get so discouraged by by sitting at a market for four hours and not selling very much and thinking I've got weeds I could be hoeing and I've got, you know, lots of things I could be doing on the farm. And I'm, I'm sitting here not making any sales at farmer's market. And, you know, that's one of the things that it's, it's kind of, in some ways it's a mistake I made going to some of these markets where I didn't make anything, but I also don't know how I would have uh, learned to do well without having to go through that difficult period of struggling. But I, I think it highlights that as much as you can have some sales outlets lined up before you put any seeds in the ground, 
you should. You should try to. You should talk to some restaurants if you can um, who are interested in buying certain crops and have some outlets already there. Or you should uh, talk to your neighbors, people who are close enough to you who will sign up for a CSA, understanding that this is your first year and you're just trying it out and you're not really sure how it will go and that you'll work with them if you, know, if you just don't have the... Uh, the volume to fill their bag in a particular week, you'll work with them on, on what the mm-hmm. price needs to be or whatever. As much as you can have that lined up, that's great. And, you know, some some other mistakes just in terms of like crop planning and what we tried to do that hasn't worked. One would be trying to cram in rotations too close together. You know, we, we try to get good production, but for example, in our high tunnel, the spring season is short enough that if we try to plant any greens ahead of our tomatoes, for example, we can't get the greens out in time. And so we have set our tomato plants way back by having lettuce and kale and chard in those beds that just wanted, you know, a couple more weeks to get finished, getting up to size before we took them out. But the, the nutrients just weren't available for the tomato plants early on and uh, mm. set them back that way. Also, uh, things like, I feel like there can be a feeling of this competition to be the first one to market. You know, you, if you can be the first one to market with X, Y, or Z, you're going to really make a killing. And for me, it was a process to learn that, sure, if you can be the first one, you can sell it really well that week. But if you have customers who you know are reliable and who you know are going to buy from you when it's ready, it's not that big of a deal to be a week later. And if you try to plant something too soon in a season that's not suited for and you don't get good germination, then you're, you know, you've kind of got a half of a stand of green beans and you're like, well, now do I try to fill it in? Do I try to move some plants? Do I just scrap it and start over? Um, that just tends to be more of a stress and it's also, it's going to kill your actual mm-hmm. production in that bed. So green beans is a great example where you know, we just wait until the weather is warm enough and the soil is warm enough and we know we can plant our green beans and they're going to come up well and they'll produce when they produce. And green beans, you know, they're another one of those crops that take enough time to pick that they're not highly profitable. So we want to just have a few weeks where we have plenty of green beans for all of our shareholders who want them. And it doesn't matter whether they're a little bit earlier or a little bit later. We want to know that that bed of green beans is full and we're getting as much production out as we can so that we get as much efficiency in our harvesting as we can that makes a lot of sense and also the thing i've heard or the thing that i heard you say in many ways is that you really do have to have the customers so in order to do that as a new farmer you really have to foster in yourself a sense of um, friendliness and you know networking and building relationships at the market yeah for sure Thanks for listening to the podcast. Feel free to send me a message on the website, getinmygarden.com, or via Instagram, at getinmygarden, where I share content about this podcast. Let me know what you like and don't like, and ways I can improve, and what you'd love to hear more of. Also, sign up for the weekly newsletter, which includes highlights from the podcast, information about the guests, supplemental content, including amazing articles and books I discover, as well as products and promotions you literally cannot live without. Anyhow, you can also be added to the list by joining the Facebook group, Soil Balance with Microbes, Minerals, Fungi, Fertilizers, and Bugs, then sharing your email in the questions section when you first join. 
Next week, we will have more content about the soil food web, including composting. Stay tuned.